What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Cosmic Laundry Edition. Don't pull that thread. That's a string theory joke. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The strings are very small, though, so that's okay. It's very small. Very small. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's just a tease of what our if is this week, coming up very shortly. Um, but first of all, uh, I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker science fan. Sometimes I want to say a science aficionado, but I don't know. An aficionado has to actually know a lot, right? You, that's like you're an expert. Uh, I don't think so. I think like, you know, I'm an aficionado of, of food, but I don't think I, I'm not an especially good cook or anything like okay. that. So I, th- I think it's okay. Fair enough. I'm science aficionado. And um, that uh, is Professor That. He, those sounds are coming from Professor Matthew Stanley, historian of science at New York University. How are you, sir? Uh, it is Friday, so uh, in a good mood. All right. It is Friday. Um, uh, we also have with us, remaining silent, remaining demure and silent for the moment. Uh, we have, I almost said professor, not yet, Professor. Not yet. <laughs> Virologist uh, Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University. How are you? Happy Friday to you as well. I am good. If I'm a bit quiet, it's because my brain has completely powered down in the wake of this uh, R01 submission. We got it in by like the absolute skin of our teeth. We submitted this grant on Monday. Um, and then subsequently, I've had to shift gears because I have like three presentations back to back to back. Whoa. at the end of this month. So I kind of didn't see much of the data from my project. So now I'm like actually getting the data, looking at it and being like, okay, now how do I talk to people about this? Wow. Uh, so a little bit of a transition. Is the data looking uh, oh, it's really as nice. you expected? It's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's really nice. Yeah. Wow. I think this will become a, a really nice paper in like a year or two. Nice. That's very cool. And that's you breaking new science, right? Isn't that what the papers are? Independent yeah, yeah. research. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, this is also my thesis research. I can publish mm-hmm. papers on it that are independent of the fact that at some point I will have to write a 200 page monstrosity um, that is the actual thesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, essentially, just academic papers are how we communicate research to each other. When somebody has, we, we tend to talk in terms of story, which I always think is kind of funny. Is, a science fiction uh, science fiction aficionado too that the yeah. scientists are also talking about stories and it's essentially where do you end a line of research what's a good stomping point for you to say oh and this suggests all of these next questions now normally you don't actually stop you're still working on all of those next questions but you have to find some way to put a little bit of a bow on it so then you can send it out to a journal and have them publish it and you know tell the rest of the world that this is what you found oh that's really interesting I'd love to do show or something on that topic of how I, I didn't know that the role of stories I mean I've heard it spoken of in, in very mm-hmm. informally stories um, but uh, stories and actual writing of scientific papers is very interesting sounds like perhaps it touches on 
Matt, you're, uh, you gave a lecture or you were on a panel at the American Association of the Advancement of Science last weekend. Yeah. Is that right? right. Mm-hmm. About the importance of history in science. Did you, did you decide that history is important for science, I hope? No, we just ditched it. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it'll be a big time saver. Right. <laughs> just live in the moment. We just called it <laughs> off, yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite expressions I've heard is, was that uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> uh, yes, like Star Wars movies. All right. Oh, that's interesting. George Lucas used to say. Uh huh. Used to say that people are just people are like, why do you always have spaceships flying through small corridors? Right. And he's like, because that rhymes. It's like poetry. That's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't rhyme. It literally just repeats the same line over and over again. Like sometimes I've got yeah. a bad feeling about this, but I, I always thought that. <laughs> I must say the Star Wars universe is weirdly, especially as a, as the movies grew and grew and grew and the shows grew and grew and grew, it is weirdly insular or self-reflexive <laughs> with yes, all the references sure. to itself. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Very cool. But uh, kind of funny. Um, so, uh, well, uh, speaking of fan service, uh, we have... We have heard from one of the greatest super ifers that there ever has been. The original super ifer. The original yeah. super ifer, Bill from uh, Winchester, Virginia. And because Bill is from Winchester, Virginia, Bill, I don't know if you, if you like this kind of music, but that's what we got to play when we talk to Bill because we're going to the mailbag. That's the mailbag. Um, Something I don't know. Something about a mailbag. It just reminds me of like Andy Griffith or something. Andy Griffith show. And I feel like we have to uh, bring that in. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Yes, our, our country players. And uh, Bill writes in. Uh, first of all, Bill sent us two emails. One, a uh, other listeners. By the way, the competition is on because Bill has thrown down the gauntlet by submitting about ten ifs. Ten ifs for us to take on, uh, should we feel confident enough? And we are doing one of Bill's ifs today, a brand new if coming from hot off the, uh, the press from Winchester, from Bill. Uh, we're going to be doing his if today. Before we get to that, though, however, Bill had uh, uh, important reasoning for uh, having been out of touch. And he writes, um, I'm going to hand this off to Matt in a second, but uh, we heard from Bill. By the way, just say Bill is... Uh, super ifer is someone who uh, has submitted a, an idea for a show, and if we run with it, you become a super ifer. Um, also, these days, if you become a Patreon member, you're a super ifer uh, for your generosity. And Bill has now become a new Patreon member as well. So, Patreon members, welcome Bill to your circle, and we thank you enormously, Bill, for signing up and becoming a member of our Patreon program. That's Patreon.com/slash What the If, our membership program, where you can get all kinds of cool rewards. And bonus content, stuff only Patreon listeners can hear. Um, and Bill writes, uh, sorry I've been out of touch for so long. Uh, Philip, Matt, and Gabby, wow, it's been quite a while since I wrote you a note. Sorry about that. I have, however, listened to every episode of your show some multiple times. Holy cow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's very nice. And, and by the way, I know there's a lot, there are, because I hear from you occasionally, there are uh, other completists out there, very diligent people, uh, completists or addicts, however you might describe it, um, devoted listeners. And uh, if you uh, have also listened to every episode of the show and you've not written in, do so, so we can thank you. 
Um, Bill says, the reason I have been absent from your mailbox is that I have been working day and night on a pseudo-proof for pseudoscience known as PPPS. I made faster than expected progress early on. The ideas came to me as if by miracle while riding the Metro, uh, that's the uh, Washington area subway, and gazing at movement of the other Metro cars <laughs> relative to mine. Shout out to Albert Einstein. Um, my calculations and proof are below. Uh, so Matt, Matt's going to read this proof for us um, because it is... I don't think that's a good idea. No? No, no you don't think it's going <laughs> to... Yeah, I don't think it's going to come across particularly. It's a visual pun, so it's not going to work very well. Oh, I see. Okay, so uh, uh, I will post... The, 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 yeah. that's right. the, yes, that's right. Posting it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, so. but help us understand what it is. It begins with something called the poppycock action. Uh, yeah, so Bill does a, a derivation in the style of general relativity, um, uh, bringing together the, the various epistemological foundations of pseudoscience, um, such as uh, poppycock and lunacy, um, and ends up uh, with a, a strict mathematical proof that it's all schmaltz. At the end. <laughs> schmaltz. <laughs> and my favorite thing is that uh, number was number one, the poppycock action. Number two, the hooey curvature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ah, uh, fantastic! And the humbugian operator. This is a this is a work of genius and poetry, I dare say. Um, so uh, I'm going to run this through ChatGPT and just see if it uh, oh, see if we idea. can prove it yeah. or, I feel or like confirm we it. We can't insult Bill's artistry. That was lovingly crafted. Don't feed <laughs> no, no. it to the robots. They can't know how to do this themselves. Oh, right, right. No, I was going <laughs> to see if they could process it. Yeah. Um, very funny. Very funny. We could, you know, the thing you can do these days is with artificial intelligence. They have simulated voices and even simulated actors on screen and stuff. We could, you could, I'm sure we could create an Albert Einstein character that will read it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Fun. So, Bill, thank you for the, uh, the PPPS. Thank God we finally, and once you've proved it, that's it for history, right? That's like, that's right. It's true forever. It's true forever. Mm -hmm. So, wonderful. Thank you, Bill. Uh, And as Bill signs it accurately, uh, he says, keep on ifing, super duper ifer. First inductee into the What the If Hall of Fame, Bill from Winchester, Virginia. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who would like to write in, uh, just go to our website, whattheif.com. There's a little box there, a little comment box. You can just type a message in and hit send, or you can just email us directly, feedback at whattheif.com. Or if you happen to be on Twitter, we are at whattheifshow. All right. Now to the the if. that Bill, uh, um, among we have chosen among the uh, many ifs that Bill submitted, um, an if today that uh, let's see what um, just a little context for this, uh, Matt. This is a string theory related kind of thing. Before we uh, actually, it's not. That's not. That's, oh, okay. That's, uh, I'm sorry. It's just a uh, just a linguistic link, a homonym. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. So when we say string theory, we're talking about microscopic, tiny, tiny little strings, little curvature bits of space time that make up fundamental particles and things. Bill's asking about cosmic strings, which are cosmological scale things. Oh, interesting. So totally different. Interesting. Opposite All right. So I'm side just... of the size spectrum then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, um, Gabby, could you help us uh, help any listeners who are new uh, super ifers of the future 
um, the young super ifers of today, uh, super ifers in training, understand um, uh, what we're doing here and uh, why we will, in a moment, be announcing this thing called an if with tremendous fanfare. Yeah, so essentially our if every week is one thing that we choose to change about the universe or speculate, you know, around if it happened. And then we try to follow that if, that one change in reality as far out as possible to its logical endpoint ad absurdum. Um, and this could be anything small. What if uh, you woke up without thumbs? Um, or it could be something much bigger like what if life had never evolved on earth or something like that. Um, so it kind of lets us get to some very radical points by the end of the episode. Sometimes we break the universe. Uh, this kind of feels like one. Uh, so I'm very <laughs> curious to see where this one goes. All right, Bill. This is straight off uh, Bill's, uh, Bill, hot off the um, PPPS uh, pseudoscience proof, uh, asks, what the if? Music, please. Come on, gentlemen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what the if there was music? My bad. My bad. No, the band was totally... I, was, I could see the band. I could see them, the trumpet players, wailing away. And I was like, I don't hear you because I dropped a cone of silence on me, also known as turning the volume down. And I ask again, what the if... The Earth or the Sun encountered a cosmic string. Bill says a cosmic string, theoretically extremely dense, but thin, one-dimensional path of pure energy. Oh my goodness. What the if the Earth or the Sun encountered a cosmic string? I'll just say Bill, Bill, wrote, Bill wrote in there a little explanation for those of us who don't know what's going on, but Matt's going to help us. Bill says, a cosmic string is a theoretically extremely dense but thin one-dimensional path, that is thin, of pure energy capable of slicing matter and cutting out a thin slice of space-time created by phase transitions during the formation of the early universe. Wow. Is that a real thing or is that a hypothetical? Well, it's actually kind of hard. Well, definitely hypothetical. Okay. All right. <laughs> Whether or not it's, it's real is, I guess, slightly different. Right. Um, so there, the idea of cosmic strings are first proposed um, to solve a, a weird thing that's discovered in the late 80s and early 90s when um, cosmologists are sort of mapping the large scale structure of the universe. Um, and one of the things they find is that uh, galaxies are not sort of evenly spread out. Mm. Um, they're not like chocolate chips in a cookie, um, but rather they clump together. Um, so it's more like, I don't know, Twizzlers, um, <laughs> where the, they, they seem to be spread out um, on string-like structures. And I should say the structures are... Um, on the scale of thousands of light years long. Um, but what it means is if you like, you draw your camera back way out, so you're looking at the scale of, of um, sort of the whole observational universe, um, the universe looks like a, um, uh, like a spider web, sort of a three-dimensional spider web. So there's these big voids, and then there's these long strings of, of galaxies that seem to hang out near each other. And there's actually sort of they 
they form weird patterns and things too. So somebody noticed that one of these uh, structures looked like sort of a stick person. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of conversation for a while, but whether there's this uh, a Titanic person, Gulliver style out in the, the universe cool. as a well. whole. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so when you see something weird like that, um, you want to explain it, right? Say, why did that happen? Right? Cause you can just say, yeah, it's just the way the universe is deal with it, but that's not very satisfying. Um, so there's uh, a suggestion, um, that, you know, the, the basic force we have that makes things clump in nature is gravity. So if there was some gravitational force that was kind of spread out on these string-like structures, then galaxies would be attracted to that and cause that kind of um, uh, uh, cause that kind of string-like structure. So, um, so the proposal was: uh, let's call these whatever these things are. Let's call them cosmic strings. Okay, um, and then as this is this is how cosmologists entertain themselves um, as they sit down and and calculate out how much gravity would be necessary to make that happen Um, and then how could you have something that has that much gravity that you can't see Um, Mm. and that's sort of analogous to the dark matter problem but this is an entirely different scale of things right so Mm. it's it's um it's not likely to be dark matter um in in the sense that we usually use that term so uh, the really weird thing is that um, the, 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 the stretched out nature of it is not a structure you see in, um, in nature very often for gravity, right? Gravity likes um, spheres and balls, right? There's a reason that planets and stars are all spherical like that. Right. Um, and even once you start getting things moving, you end up with like spiral shapes, Right, so spirals or disks, but just all that to say, long thin structures don't often happen with gravity. Um, So, uh, one solution to that is to kind of figure out: is there some fundamental physics that would would result in some entity like this? And I should say it doesn't really go very far. Um, I think it's not a whole lot deeper than what I've just said. uh, that said, I haven't kept up on cosmic string research right. for a while, so maybe I've missed something. So important. the uh, just to clarify the the um, the shape of the universe is real, like that. In other words, that is an observation. We see that it is that's in right. this the, the, spider web. Mm-hmm. Almost to me, it looks a little bit like cotton candy or something. It's kind of or yeah, I think that's probably a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. The well, important part being that there's these big voids where there is very little, right? Um, and then these uh, thread like groupings of galaxies too right yeah. right or even like tumbleweed or anyway something sort of big ball of stuff. um a dust bunny the, the universe is a giant dust bunny and um yeah. uh so that's real but the question is so so that is a huge mystery why are the galaxies lined up why are they in these long strings or thread-like structures. and Yeah, that's right. And uh, so it suggests that there's something there, right? Yeah. So like as New Yorkers, we spend a lot of time standing in lines, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the things that often happens is when a line forms, um, people will get in that line even if they don't know what it's for. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they assume it must be something cool. Otherwise, why would people be lining up yeah. like that? Um, so galaxies essentially do that. They're they're joining this line yeah. and we're asking what's the cool thing inside the club that everybody is lining yeah. up for. Yeah. Now, yeah. I mean, 
obviously my head first goes to God's having a silly string fight, but I assume, you know, there's <laughs> there's something a little bit more behind this. So the idea of the cosmic string that Bill proposed that it was what, like a, a slice of of pure energy. So is the idea that yeah. the all of these galaxies got pushed up that way, like, you know, like seaweed coming in on the high tide, or is it like something else like that is the energy that holds them together what how oh, what so, way is this so happening the- that's a good question. So the the suggestion is that um, whatever the string is, uh, it has intense gravity. So mm. the gravity of it is attracting the galaxies towards it. Um, and it can't just be, you know, a giant Twinkie because we would be able to see the giant Twinkie. So it has to have this strange property that um, it has titanic levels of gravity in order to pull whole galaxies towards it. Um, but is also invisible. Oh, funsies. Uh, so that's a what's that? Funsies. That was- <laughs> funsies. <laughs> right. uh, so that's um, so that's strange. So that suggests it is a, a different kind of entity um, than we've experienced in the universe as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and as Bill suggested, um, we would need to think about how they formed in the early universe too. And if there are things like that, then they would have had an enormous influence on, say, the formation of galaxies in the first place. Um, but we haven't, we haven't, we don't quite see that, right? It seems to be a late in the universe kind of structure. Uh, so that's, so that's a little mysterious. So our, our galaxy, the Milky Way, uh, mm-hmm. would be on one of these, would be a re- near one of these strings, right? Um, I would need to check, actually. I'm not quite sure. Um, how close we are uh, to the nearest one. Um, This is a a weird feature of cosmology is that it's often easier to investigate things that are far away than things that are close. Right, 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 right. So we know that our galaxy hangs out with a few other galaxies um, called, we call the local group. Um, It's the name of our band. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And we are gravitationally bound to each other. And then there's larger structures, larger groups of galaxies that our galaxy is attached to as well. Um, I don't know where we are relative to the nearest string-like structure. Um, I would need to check on that. But theoretically, if we we look at one of the, you just look at, you know, we look out at the spider web of the universe and pick some random galaxy and say, well, if we were in that galaxy, we would be, we would be probably orbiting some sort of very elongated, invisible structure that would be some distance from us. Um, Yes, that's right. So it's a titanic distance, presumably. Um, But it's also invisible. So that means we would not notice that we were getting closer right away, which can give us our if that that Bill suggested here. Right, is right. We, could, we might run into it or get very close to it um, uh, without seeing that it's about to happen. Right. So, this is, so, so let's imagine this, and then we'll go back and say, because that was one of my questions, too. I felt like if this existed, wouldn't we see collisions with it? Like, you look at a black hole, we don't see the black holes, but we do see things falling into black holes. We can obviously see things falling into black holes or giant swirls of matter, you know, about to fall in. Um, I don't know that we see things swirling around these uh, long structures. We do not. And that's, um, so that is part of the puzzle. Mm, mm -hmm, Um, mm. Is that, as you say, we can, we can infer the presence of black holes by looking at how stuff swirls around them, even though we can't see them ourselves. Um, we don't really see things swirling around uh, the cosmic strings. Mm. 
Um, but we do see these these structures of we do see the galaxies gathering around them. So that that might be analogous. Right, right, right. Um, so uh, Bill asks, what if what the if the Earth or the Sun encountered a cosmic string? I would think if the Sun isn't going to encounter it, the Earth is going to also encounter it. Uh, um, yeah, that's right. So uh, because on the scale of galactic structures um the sun and the earth are essentially in the same place so we'll all get we'll all get to enjoy it so the first thing i would imagine is that as this thing as we got closer to it at least enough to sort of sense it that there would be crazy distortions in our sky from the gravitational lensing is that oh in terms of what we would see in in the stars pretty cool yeah. yeah, phenomena, right? So, so gravitational lensing is this this weird effect you get because gravity bends light. Um, so if there's an intense gravitational uh, source, like a black hole, in between you and what you're looking at, the light gets bent around it yeah. in exactly the same way that a funhouse mirror distorts your, yeah. your appearance. Yeah. Do people go to fun houses anymore? Is that a thing? I, I mean, Not, I, did I just date myself? No, I feel like like county fair kind of things. They've got usually like the one like okay. haunted house thing that has that section. That kind of weird stuff. Yeah. All right, okay, that's good. I wasn't. Well, gonna, I can never tell these days. Sometimes I'll I'll make some reference in in class, and my students are like, "What are you talking?" I'd be about? like, "Oh, it and distorts I, you like a Snapchat filter." Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There see, that's that's the kind of thing I need to be able to do, and I just can't. <laughs> well, see, with COVID, Instead, I'm talking about with COVID, every house is a haunted house. Every oh, gathering <laughs> is a zombie. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I have then a weird question, right? So these things are invisible, but immensely gravitational. So does mm-hmm. the bending light just not apply to them? Oh, so um, this is uh, one of the reasons we can imagine that they're one dimensional is that uh, if they're hmm. super thin, super, super, super small, as in like being one dimensional, um, then they have to be lined up perfectly with us and the, the the source of light that they're distorting. So if they're really thin, then uh, that's going to be uh, vanishingly unlikely. Um, so it's going to be hard to spot. To but there are a lot of stars. It would seem odd. That- there are a lot of stars. And I should say, we actually, this is actually how, or one of the main tools we have for detecting dark matter too, right, right. is uh, gravitational lensing. So we have huge surveys up that watch the sky for unexpected gravitational lensing. Um, uh, and so far we haven't seen anything that looks like a cosmic string. Yeah. So it would almost be like, I imagine like just one star does a weird little distortion for a second. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And that's a, that's a tiny thing to look for. Yeah. Right? I forgot about the one dimensional. So Matt, just help people understand one dimensional. I help people understand. They don't understand how thin that is. It's not just like, a, a- it's well, see, this is the, the bizarre thing is when you say something. So I should say, no, no object can actually be one dimensional. Uh-huh. Um, because our, I don't know, our universe doesn't work that way, I guess. Um, so let's see here. So everyone listening to this is a three-dimensional being. Okay. There are no exceptions to that. Um, by which we mean you have, um, height and width and thickness. Uh, and if we tried to take away one of those three measurements, we'd get like a paper doll. Right. Um, along the lines of, I should say, my childhood favorite book, 
Flat Stanley. Stanley. I was about to mention Flat Um, Stanley. (laughs) (laughs) So Flat Stanley has height and width, but no thickness. So you can fold them off and put them in an envelope. And then push them under doors and things like that. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to take Flat Stanley and do that same metaphysical operation once more. So we're going to get rid of his width now. So he only has length. Uh, and it's hopefully that's actually kind of hard for you to even visualize what that would be. Right. Um, and that's kind of the point (laughs) is that as three dimensional beings, our whole perception system is based on three dimensional things. So even when we talk about something being flat, like flat Stanley or a piece of paper, it still has thickness. Um, it's just very thin. Although I am, Um, I imagine like I can imagine a line or essentially a straw that has no thickness. But to me, it seems like Okay, a... so I should say your your brain is better than most. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, For once. <laughs> because most people can't do that. Right. Um, and well, that's because I, I read the three-body problem. And, no. yes. well, that's right. well, that's right. That's a right. three-body problem does some interesting explorations. Yeah. That's right. Um, and the, the classic um, book about this is uh, Flatland, mm-hmm. which is actually uh, a, a late Victorian science fiction story. Um, it's very short and accessible, and you just Google Flatland and read it. It's, it's a lot of fun um, reading about what it would be like to be in different dimensional structures. Um, but the, and then like classical geometry starts from the existence of lines and points that are truly one-dimensional or zero-dimensional. And one of the objections to classical geometry is actually that those things do not exist. Yeah. So some people said to Euclid, Why, how can you base your entire system on the idea of a one-dimensional line when there are no one-dimensional lines? And Euclid said, get out of my living room. <laughs> finished writing his book. Um, so this is part of the, the problem is that the, um, cosmic strings would have to have such preposterous physical properties like one dimensionality um, that it seems like we must be thinking about something wrong. Right. How do we know they don't exist? Like it seems to me they would be invisible. So. No, no. It's, well, this is the, I mean, as, as you said right at the start, is there's an observational problem mm. that we're trying to solve. Right. Right? Um, there is this weird clumping um, you know, what are filamentary structures, right. meaning galaxies are lined up on like strings. Um, and that demands explanation. So one, the, the, the sort of most abstract explanation is there is some gravitational source that's spread out over a long distance in a string like form. Um, and then once you have that hypothesis, then you try to make that hypothesis more rigorous. So you can then go look for whatever it is you think it is. So this is the questions we've been doing here. Like, well, could we see it with gravitational lensing? Um, we look, we don't see it with gravitational lensing. So, okay. So what properties must, the th- how do I have to modify my hypothesis um, for that still to be okay? Um, and I say, well, what if it's one dimensional? And then your friends roll their eyes and they're like, okay, what if it's one dimensional? <laughs> right. um, and then you eventually you have to go talk to the fundamental physicists and say, well, is there something in the universe that could be one dimensional and spread out over vast lengths of space and time? And they're like, I don't know. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's sit down and think about it. Right. Um, so uh, sometimes this happens, right? We've got an observational mystery um, and it has stimulated some ideas about what might be good solutions for that mystery um, that have not gone 
especially well so far, I think, right? I, I don't think we really know much more about what cosmic strings might be today um, than we did 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Bill's question is, what if we were to encounter one of these things? So if it exists, mm -hmm. if these one-dimensional um, <clears throat> spaghetti, spaghetti-like um, gravitational um, condensations, do we call it? We, we, mm -hmm. we, Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as it comes near, so it sounds like because it's ridiculously thin, we might not see some massive just, well. Well, so that's the thing. So we wouldn't see it in right. a sense of visual confirmation. Right. But the gravity, because the gravity is super compact, weird things are going to happen. Um, right. And these, these are analogous to many of the strange gravitational phenomena you get near black holes too, right. because they're also very concentrated. So um, as the Milky Way um, nudges up close to one of these, one of the things that's going to, uh, one of the distinctive things you get from an intense gravitational source is that uh, the near side of you, it gets pulled on more intensely than the far side of you. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Hmm. All right. So if the, the cosmic string is on the left side of the Milky Way, the left side of the Milky Way experiences, I'm just going to make up numbers, yeah. um, 10 units of gravitational force. Um, but the right side of the Milky Way uh, gets one unit of gravitational force mm -hmm. because gravity drops off rapidly as a, as a force. Um, so you can imagine that if, um, if you pulled on Gabby's left arm with 10 units of force and I pulled on Gabby's right arm with one unit of force, <laughs> um, she would go flying towards you um, unless I really held on, um, in which case eventually... You're gonna get she a, gets ripped in. Yeah. Subpar for me. Don't try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, on a galactic scale, what that means is that, say, one arm of the Milky Way is going to go crashing into the cosmic string yeah. quite quickly. And then the other arm uh, stays relatively undisturbed. Right. Um, so, the galaxy is going to get pulled apart like taffy. Right. So also a very dated reference. Nobody. I never ate it then either. Ugh. Although I did enjoy watching it get made in the candy stores. That was kind of fun. amazing. Yeah, um, but uh, so we're in the arm that's getting the lesser force. We're farther away from it. So we get to see yeah. the other side of our galaxy. Something crazy starts to happen. Does does stuff go flying in all directions, or does it? So everything will go flying in one direction. Okay. Um, towards this long string. Right. Okay. Um, and the string is invisible, so we'd actually, our, our, what we would see is all the stars in the Milky Way start forming up along the string, um, <laughs> like, like New Yorkers queuing yeah. up for, for a good restaurant or something. Yeah. Um, so that might be kind of an interesting to, thing to see. Yeah. So it would be pulled in line with it, not in any way rotating around this like one dimensional um, axis. It's, uh, that would be a complicated question. That would be a good okay. PhD thesis. Is exactly <laughs> what the dynamics would be for that. Um, if you waited long enough, they would probably line up. And also, I should say, it's not quite clear what happens if they actually hit the cosmic string because we don't, we don't know. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know what it's like to interact with a one-dimensional. But it would object. seem like they have to hit it, right? I mean, um, eventually, yeah. Yeah. And but that's that's part of the mystery is that since we don't know what it's made of, it could be anything. Um, but I think though, if you think of it this way, if you imagine the Milky Way, sort of all the light on the night sky that is normally in the Milky Way lined up in one long string across the night sky. Wow. Um, 
That would be pretty. Like a neon heavy. neon sign right. or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, that would be pretty nifty. Yeah, I think I would. I would like to see that. And uh, we have gravitational wave uh, observatories on Earth now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, LIGO and so forth. Um, All right. Would they would they sense this thing coming before we saw it? That's a good question, and speaks to some actually some difficult epistemological problems. Which is that sometimes it's hard to see something if you don't know what you're looking for. Um, All so of biology gravity as waves. Well. Is, <laughs> that's yeah. right. It's, yeah, it's a problem for both big and small things, right? So for gravity waves, they're so small. So the, the effects are so small um, that you need to you spend most of your time filtering out um, uh, confusing signals. Mm. So for instance, like right now you and I, I'm waving my hand. So yeah. I am generating gravity waves that affect you slightly. Oh, cool. So um, what they have to do at LIGO is cancel out all of those things so they only find the thing they're looking for. Right. But in order to do that, you need to kind of know what your signal is going to look like in the first place. Yeah. So what theorists did 40 years ago was say, all right, what's the most intense gravitational event we can think of in the universe today? That's black holes smashing into each other. So then they sit down with their equations and calculate out what what the gravity wave signal from that event might look like. And then they take that to the experimental physicists and and say, you need to look for a signal that looks like this. And then the experimental physicists go to the engineers and say, we need you to be able to cancel out every signal that's not this. Um, and then eventually they successfully do that <laughs> after 40 years of work yeah. and they get the signal. The problem is that with cosmic strings, we don't know what the gravity signal would look like. Mm. Um, so we can't do that. But what you can imagine is that if we're confident enough in our gravity wave astronomy, that eventually we get some signal that we're sure isn't noise and we haven't predicted then we say, what is that mystery? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I should say, that's how like we discovered, you know, radio astronomy. It's, oh, right. Uh, we, we just, we were looking for one thing um, and then found other things. So, so that would actually be kind of a cool start to a sci-fi story. Um, LIGO starts detecting yeah. mysterious signals that it does not understand. Yeah. Um, and that turns out to be cosmic waves crashing into each other or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Elon Musk never sent his uh, sports car out into space with a little astronaut mannequin in it. And um, let's say it uh, drifts near one of these cosmic strings. <laughs> what, what happens to Starman? Oh, so um, in the same way that the near end of the Milky Way gets pulled stronger than the, the further end, um, if the the cosmic string is approaching our solar system um, and the car is slightly closer to the the cosmic string than it is to um, our sun, it's going to start getting nudged away. Um, so it'll get pulled away from our sun first. And then it'll go plummeting into the cosmic string. And we don't know quite what happens when that when that occurs. Uh, and then but then shortly after that, the same thing's going to happen to Mars. Right. Mars is going to be pulled more strongly by the cosmic string than it is by the sun. So then Mars goes plummeting into the string. Um, and you can probably see where this is going. Um, then the same, ha- same thing happens to our moon and then to us. 
so we're going to get pulled away from the sun. Um, so things are going to get cold fast um, and dark as we plummet through the darkness. Uh, and then at some point, probably we'll run in, we, the, the Earth, will run into all the other crud that's being attracted uh-huh. uh, to the cosmic string, too. Yeah. So maybe things will briefly get really bright um, as the sky fills with, with all the stuff around. Yeah. Um, and our sun, because it's, um, it's a gas, right? It doesn't hold itself to, it only holds itself together gravitationally. Um, will get pulled apart like taffy too. Um, so it's going to get stretched out. Uh, and then eventually as the earth gets close enough, um, Africa is going to get pulled on stronger than Asia and the earth itself gets pulled apart, um, into a long string as well. So the whole story doesn't end well for us, I'm afraid. Hmm. Um, Maybe the only consolation is that Elon Musk's car gets wrecked before the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> the earth goes the way of Twitter. Yeah, we yeah. get some sun for it. Yeah, but what a way to go, right? That's pretty spectacular. Yeah, well, it would be a very spectacular way yeah. to go, I think. True right? spectacle, um, yes. Yeah, and something that's not clear to me off the top of my head is actually what the time scale is of this. So oh, right. this whole process that we've been talking about, this might be millions of years, this might be months. Um, and I've got to wait for that PhD student to finish their dissertation to, to really know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Gabby, any last questions? No, he actually answered it. I was going to ask about whether uh, or not it pulls things apart. Because I was very yes. much imagining taffy raccoon eating cotton candy kind of situation, but on a gravitational scale. So raccoon eating yeah. cotton candy, indeed. It's a fascinating <laughs> video. If you've ever seen them eat cotton candy, it's amazing. They have little people <laughs> hands. Yeah. They also try to dunk it in water, and it's cotton candy, so it melts. Highly recommend. This is my oh. very low, intellectually stupid uh, addition to Matt's incredibly well thought out no, and scientific explanation of this. No, that's pretty good. That's anthropology right there. Um, so uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Bill, uh, for taking us on this spectacular journey to doom. Um, <laughs> death by cosmic string. I mean, if, if you have to go, that's a great way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, anything you want to plug coming up? Um, no, I think I'm... Um, no, nothing exciting for a little while. All right. Gabby, anything you want to plug? Anything coming up? Yeah, actually... Um, so a couple of things. Uh, one, um, I had mentioned that one of my stories is going to be in an anthology from Neon Hemlock Press. The mm. anthology got delayed in the printing process. They ran into a bunch of pro- and the, ran into a bunch of trouble, but they are now shooting for late May. I got all the right. proofs the other day, uh, so we could all make sure that everything was done right. It looks nice. really cool. I'm very excited. There's art for every one of the stories that's in it. And I had to very much resist the urge to read all of the other people's stuff, but I am waiting until I get my own copy. Um, (laughs) Nice. That's very exciting. And number two, I won't, eh, I'll wait. I'll wait until it comes out to tell you more about that. All right. So stay tuned for all these exciting things. Um, uh, Gabby, would you help us understand our closing rituals as we put the universe back together or not? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As we are standing on Earth watching the skies be absolutely pulled apart uh, by this condensing wave of a string that doesn't really exist, maybe, we cannot help but shout the name of the show. What? What? The.
Thank you, Super Ifer Bill. Thank you to all the Super Ifers out there and of the future. Write in and have your reward, your rewards. <laughs> write in and have your, your ideas ifed by the team and become a Super Ifer. And don't forget Patreon. Check it out. Become a member. Patreon.com slash what the if. And we'll see you next week. Bye.